Hey, it's Dan. This week, we're sharing an episode from April about President Biden's plan to invest hundreds of billions of dollars in care services for older Americans and those with disabilities living at home. That plan is back in the news lately because it's one of many health care reforms that hang in the balance as Democrats face pressure to pare back their $3.5 trillion spending package. Stick around after the episode for more on these heated health policy negotiations. Fresh off his $1.9 trillion COVID relief package, President Joe Biden is back. A $2 trillion plan for infrastructure. It's not a plan that tinkers around the edges. It's a once-in-a-generation investment in America. Unlike anything we've seen or done since we built the interstate highway system and the space race decades ago. On top of money for planes, trains, and automobiles, it also includes $400 billion, 20% of the entire plan, for something that rarely gets much attention. President Biden is proposing to do more for long-term care recipients than any president has since Lyndon Johnson and the creation of Medicaid in 1965. Today, President Biden bets big on helping older and disabled Americans get more care at home. From the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. Like so many people who focus on this issue, I was drawn to it by a personal experience. Howard Gleckman is a senior fellow at the Urban Institute where he studies long-term care, a topic he got interested in about 20 years ago. My father-in-law got really sick, and then shortly after that, my own father got really sick. And as a result of that, I was forced to learn about long-term care issues, and I discovered two things. One of them is it's really hard to learn about, and the other thing is once you do learn about it, it is an incredible mess. Let's start simply, Howard. Who does our long-term care system actually serve? There are probably 13 million people in the United States who require a sufficient level of long-term supports and services. Many of them, 60% of them, are older older than 65. The other 40% are younger people with disabilities. And they need a very wide range of care. Some of them may need uh, simply enough services to help them get started in the morning, help them get to bed at night. Other people may need somebody 24-7 to keep an eye on them because they're a high fall risk, for example. So that's who is served. Now, the president wants to pour $400 billion into long-term care, a clear sign that the system has its share of issues. 50,000-foot view here, Howard. What are these problems? So there are multiple problems. The first one is uh, people can't afford the care. To live in a nursing home now costs between $100,000 and $130,000 a year. Even if you have a home care aide, that now costs about $25 an hour. Another problem with this program is it is very difficult for anyone who is trying to receive both healthcare services and long-term services to put all that together. I may need transportation. I may need home-delivered meals. I may need a personal care aid. My family caregiver may need respite care. They may need training. How do I do all that? This is an incredibly complex system 
And uh, there's no way really to put it all together. So it's complex, it is insufficient, and it is incredibly expensive. Other than that, it's a great system. That great system is expected to be put under even more strain as baby boomers continue to age. According to U.S. Census Bureau estimates, people over 65 will outnumber kids by 2034, and the number of people over 85 is expected to nearly double. So, Howard, given all of that, what exactly is President Biden proposing in his so-called American Jobs Plan? So what President Biden is proposing to do is spend $400 billion over eight years, or about $50 billion a year, to expand Medicaid home and community-based services. He doesn't say anything in this proposal about how he'd do it. But what you should know about this is Medicaid is required to provide long-term supports and services to people who are very sick and people who are very poor. But they're only required to provide those services in a nursing home. Of the 700,000 Medicaid recipients who are living in a nursing home, probably 200,000 of them don't have to be there. But they're there because that's where Medicaid is paying. Every state Medicaid program does cover some help for people choosing to get long-term care at home. Things like meal delivery, helping get showered and get dressed. But Howard says quality can vary a lot, and the waiting list for those services can run two to three years in some states. And because you have to be very sick before you can even get on the waiting list, there's a very high probability that you'll be dead before you actually get the services. Howard, one of the ideas around investing in community and home-based services, I think, is a little bit of this assumption that that's better from a financial standpoint and a health outcome standpoint than paying for care delivered at a nursing home. What does the research say about delivering care at home or in the community? It is less expensive as long as you don't need very, very high levels of care. Imagine you're somebody who needs an aide to come in a couple of hours in the morning to help you get started, help you get dressed, help you take a shower. If that's you, then it's vastly cheaper. If you are somebody who is bedbound with high levels of, say, dementia, it's probably cheaper to be in a nursing home. In terms of the outcomes, I hate to say it, but it depends. There's a program that was developed by Johns Hopkins School of Nursing called Capable where you get a team of people, uh, including an occupational therapist and a, and a, a home repair person uh, and a nurse. And there's very robust research that showed that program keeps people out of the hospital. But there are a lot of other programs that we think work, but we don't know for sure. The one thing we know for sure, unquestionably, is that people want to stay home. There's a downside to President Biden's plan, says Howard. While light on details, the point is to support services for the 4 million people who receive long-term care through Medicaid, arguably those with the highest need. But that does leave out about 10 million people, think a retired school teacher with a small pension, who have too much money to qualify for Medicaid, but also need care. 
And Howard says Medicare generally doesn't cover these services. So you either buy insurance, pay out of pocket, or go without. And President Biden's proposal isn't doing anything for that. With $400 billion, you can walk and chew gum at the same time. You don't have to just do one thing. And what I would propose doing is uh, providing some money to expand Medicaid home and community-based services, absolutely, but also providing money to the right nursing homes so they can provide the care they need and providing some sort of a social insurance program. I've worked with some people over the years who proposed a catastrophic program that says you're responsible for the first couple of years of care, but after that, you would be eligible for a public program. And it's worth noting that every developed country in the world except for the United States and England, has a public social insurance program for long-term care. So you really, to be clear, because there are lots of policy details here, your point is you applaud the Biden administration for focusing on an infrastructure problem that we're having, but you fault the administration for not dreaming big enough. We're not, not dreaming big enough and for being too narrowly focused in its goal. He's putting all his eggs in one basket. And what I'd rather see him do is provide a little more flexibility and a little more diversity in how he spends this money. But again, I, to take nothing away from what he's doing, just the fact that a president of the United States is finally putting this issue on a front burner is really, really important. And now it's going to be a matter of just taking this goal that he's got and, and, and creating the details to make it uh, manageable. Howard, thanks for taking the time to talk to us on Trade-Offs. Thank you, Dan. Good to be with you. When we come back, home care workers and what Biden's proposal may mean for them. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back. In addition to focusing on Medicaid, the other specific idea President Biden included in his $400 billion home care plan was raising the wages of home health care workers. With better wages, benefits, and opportunities for millions of people who will be able to get to work in an economy that works for them. It's a really disenfranchised group of workers, and they don't have a lot of political capital. And so they have historically been really undervalued and underpaid within the home care industry. Rachel Warner is the executive director of the Leonard Davis Institute of Health and Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, and she's thought a lot about the more than 2 million home health care workers in the U.S. Nine out of ten of them are women. Over half are people of color and almost one-third are immigrants. The typical income for a home care worker is between fifteen and $20,000 per year, which is not that far above the poverty line. And actually, close to 20% of home care workers do live in poverty. So we've got 
this really essential group of people who are literally the foundation of the home care industry in the United States. But we routinely dismiss and undervalue the work that they do. And, and so, Rachel, when we think about this system in our country to support long-term care, there are a lot of needs for this money. Mm-hmm. How do you think about prioritizing worker pay among the other places this money could go to shore up this system of ours? One of the things that we have learned, I hope, over the past year during the pandemic is that the workers within the long-term system are really the backbone of that system. And without an adequate workforce, the entire long-term care system just collapses. And so I think taking the money and investing it in that workforce is the one of the most important first steps we can do to really shore up the long-term care system and make it a more highly functioning and stable part of the healthcare system. What, what evidence or research convinces you of that? So there is higher rates of hospitalizations, higher rates of death in these areas where we can't find enough people to staff nursing homes or home health agencies. There's also evidence that because of the poor conditions that people work in, there are very high rates of turnover in the industry, which has been associated with worse outcomes for patients. And so investing in the workforce to make the job more appealing, to keep a more stable workforce and a larger workforce would certainly have better outcomes for patients. So when you say to me, hey, Dan, let's let's prioritize the workforce here, the way you see it is that it offers a real dual benefit. It benefits the workforce in improving the quality and conditions and the economic security that they have. And by doing that, evidence would suggest that's going to have a real positive spillover effect for the patients, the older adults that they serve. So would the idea be that the federal government would effectively subsidize the pay of these jobs? For this to be feasible over the long term, Medicaid would really have to increase their payment rates across the board. And those payments would then have to go directly to the direct care workers like home care workers. That's all very unregulated right now. And so whether or not even if Medicaid raised their rates, they would go to home care workers is really open question. Um, But that would need to happen for this to be sustainable over the long run. Are there any projections, Rachel, or any plans? Has anyone done any sort of like back of the envelope estimate of how much we need to spend to raise these wages to get the benefits you're talking about? The federal government did a study recently looking at what would happen if we raised the wages of the lowest paid nursing home workers to $15 an hour. And they found it would cost a lot, about $2.5 billion. So let's translate that to home care. It turns out that there are even more of these low-wage workers in the home health space, probably about three times as many. So we'd be looking at a pretty expensive proposition. But as I said, there's a lot of benefits to doing this. Right. So in other words, this is not only is additional money needed, but new systems and sort of a reimagining of this system is required. Yeah, I mean, I think that we have like a chronic problem of undervaluing aging adults in this country. And we don't not only undervalue people as they age, we undervalue the people that we need to care for them with dignity as they age. And so really to address this, we need to rearrange our priorities and start taking care of people in a more serious way as they age. And part of that is taking care of the workforce that cares for them on a daily basis. 
So I think I'm excited about this, the potential of this bill, and I'm hopeful about the benefits that it could have, uh, but I hope that it's only the first step. Rachel Werner, thanks for taking the time to talk to us on Tradeoffs. Thank you. I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. One postscript on this week's episode, the most recent version of the Democrats' $3.5 trillion social spending package did include money for home and community-based services, but only $190 billion, less than half the amount in Biden's original plan. Democrats are now working to whittle down that spending package by another trillion dollars or more, leaving lawmakers at odds over which policies to keep and which to cut. For more on those negotiations, listen to our October 7th conversation with Politico's D.C. healthcare reporter, Alice Miranda Olstein. It's open enrollment season, and Uncle Sam really wants all 62 million Americans on Medicare to go shopping. I found lower premiums. And lower prescription. Comparing plans. Really pay. But research shows only about 3 in 10 will actually shop for new Medicare coverage. Do you have plan D as in dog? No, I got A as in Alpha, B as in Boy, C as in Charlie, F as in Frank. The rest G will stick God. with the plans they already have. I mean, I could do this. It's just so frustrating, and I just don't have the patience anymore. And, you know, there is no blame coming from me. It's like eating spinach. And yet it really matters. We wade into the daunting Medicare enrollment waters next time on Tradeoffs. If you enjoyed today's episode of Tradeoffs, keep in touch with us between episodes by signing up for our newsletter. Click on the link in the show notes or on the big orange button at the top of our website, tradeoffs.org. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter at TradeoffsPod, and we'd be eternally grateful if you gave us a rating or review on whichever podcast app you use. The Tradeoffs team is producer Ryan Levy, Chief of Strategy and Operations Jessica Silverman, Communications Manager Nora Tahiri, Operations Assistant Jamie Song, Sound Designer Andrew Perella, and Senior Producer Leslie Walker. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from Blue Dot Sessions. Additional thanks to the Tradeoffs Advisory Board. Thanks also to all our listeners who helped to support our work, including Lee Salunas, Tom Hines, and Wendy and George Cockett. Tradeoffs is supported in part by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, West Health, the California Healthcare Foundation, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of Tradeoffs staff, advisors, or funders. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.